Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome in, Ute fans, to another special edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast and the KSL Sports Front Page. I am your host and Utes insider, Trevor Allen. And I am happy to be joined because we are going to be making a special announcement today of a stream that we're going to be doing next week. But because our next guest can't make it next week, we're going to preview it, announce it here. We bring in former Utah and NFL offensive lineman Zane Beatles. Zane, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, really, the reason why I can't join next week is I just want to be overshadowed by all my former teammates uh, if we're really getting down to it. Right. So uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so we're just going to get right into the, the announcement right away. So what we're doing, I teamed up with Sly, and we are going to be putting together a 08 Sugar Bowl virtual reunion. I'm going to bring this up here right there. There you go. Um, that is going to be taking place next Friday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time right here on the KSL Sports Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. And we're going to be doing this a little bit differently. So normally you just have a whole group in, you do the interviews and things like that. We're going we're gonna to kind of go away from the regular traditional broadcasts, and we're going to do a group of guys in each part of this stream so that we can get more guys to tell more, more stories. But we'll get Zane's story since he can't make it next week. But what we're going to do, group one, we'll, we'll start off the stream. We're going to have Mike Wright, Robert Johnson, Rojo, Matt Asiata, and Derek Shelby. And then at about 10, 20, 10, 30, depending on how long it takes. And by the way, Sly is co-hosting this with me. He's going to stay on throughout. We're going to have Robert Conley, Brent Castile, Joe Dale, and RJ Stanford. Now, whenever I, I read off all those names, Zane, what really comes to mind when, when reading off those group of names? Man, some, some good memories, uh, great group of guys, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of good uh, good feels come in the heart uh, when you say those names. You know, I haven't seen a lot of those guys in a lot of years. Uh, a few of them here and there. Uh, really wish I could join next week because uh, that's a lot of fun, and those are going to be two really fun groups. If I were to say, okay, Zane, I'm going to let you pick the group for you to be in, just based off of how much fun or insight you want to give, which group would you want to join the most? 
I think probably the second group and mainly because uh, Robert Conley and I spent a lot of hours together in that O-line room. Uh, a lot of good memories there. Uh, so that, that'd be fun uh, to join him in that group. So just to kind of give folks of what we're going to be doing in this uh, Sugar Bowl reunion um, next week, I, I want to get all your thoughts as well. So going into that season, you guys were – I mean, you guys weren't looked at as to potentially go to, you know, the Sugar Bowl, go undefeated or anything. But, you know, people knew you guys were going to be really, really good. When did you know that that 08 team was going to be special? Um, you know, I don't remember an exact time, but I, I want to say the year before that, I think we went eight and four, maybe uh, maybe finished nine and four with the bowl win. Um, you know, had had progressively been getting better since Coach Witt's first year in, in 05. Um, and you could kind of feel something brewing a little bit. Uh, we had a ton of really good senior leadership on that 08 team. Uh, and then uh, some some underclassmen, you know, juniors, sophomore uh, age group that were also very good leaders that were just right below those those seniors that year. Um, and uh, all through that offseason, all through uh, fall camp that year, you, you could just feel that like, uh, the group of guys on this team were really starting to take the team over. Uh, it wasn't the coaches that were driving things necessarily anymore. It wasn't the coaches that were motivating. It wasn't the coaches setting the bar high for the expectations uh, for the team. It was the players. And, um, you know, that was, I think, my real first experience with something like that. Uh, I, I experienced that further uh, on other teams um, throughout my career. Um, but, uh, when, when you get that feeling, it's something that's special and, and things just start to steamroll and, and, uh, the momentum just starts to pick up and, um, definitely going into that season, opening up, uh, at Michigan, uh, you know, we, we had expectations for ourselves and, and we had a feeling of what type of team we could be, uh, when we walked out of the big house with that win. Uh, it it set us up on that trajectory to to have a phenomenal year that year. So you guys go into the big house. You guys obviously pick up a win. It wasn't you know a big time. I mean, it was a big time win beating Michigan at their place where you guys only won by by two points. But again, a W is a W. And then you guys steamroll uh, Vegas. Um, you know, demolish the Aggies. Um, and then you guys had a, a, a seven-point win over the Air Force Academy, which I know in past years, that's kind of a tough team to beat, right? That is a tough team, that's for sure. Uh, you know, any, uh, any academy, I, I've never played Army, but we played Navy uh, as well. And, man, those academy teams, there's uh, uh, no give up in those guys. Uh, they, are, they are the type of guys that we want out there fighting for our country, that's for sure, uh, and a ton of respect for them. Uh, that week of practice is always, uh, you know, a, a higher stress, higher physicality week, uh, especially for the defense with uh, those academy teams running the triple option. Um, so, uh, you know, definitely a tough game. Uh, those, those teams never give up. Uh, no matter how far ahead you are, uh, you know you're in for, for a full uh, full day of fighting. And then you guys went on to beat Weber, and then uh, you guys then stayed at home and played a team who would end up being a conference opponent in Oregon State. That was a three-point win. And then you guys beat Wyoming, which I know that there's kind of a, a storied history of, you know, the, the smack talk between, you know, coaches and things like that, which is actually kind of funny. You guys steamrolled them as you did with Colorado State. Now the Lobos. You guys went down to Albuquerque 
and only got a three-point win. That was kind of the you know puzzling one. Uh, what happened in that game? Uh, again, you know, New Mexico at the time, uh, Rocky Long being the head coach, they run a very unorthodox 3-3-5 defense, um, something that's very difficult to prepare for, something that you don't see hardly ever. Um, and, uh, you know, being on the road, uh, and, and then I, I think, you know, for sure by that point in the season, we had a bullseye on our back. Um, you know, we were the team to beat and, and, uh, we were undefeated to that point. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you're going to get a team's best effort. Um, and there was a good amount of talent on that New Mexico team that year. Um, you know, I, I think we could have, and maybe should have, uh, beat them a, a little bit more handily than we did. Uh, but you know, all those factors combined made it for a tough road win. Um, and, uh, you know, in college football, the way things are, uh, especially at that time in, in history, um, uh, style points were a big deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, definitely not the type of win we would have wanted to have in New Mexico, but at the end of the day, a win was a win. And, and we maintained that, uh, that zero in the loss con- column. And then you guys had, and of what I probably consider one of, if not the best win inside Rice Eccles Stadium in Utah football history, and that was when you guys played the Horn Frogs in that blackout game. Brian Johnson leads that leads that drive down. You were obviously blocking for Brian. Just talk about that last drive because I know that that was just that is one of the most iconic moments in Utah football history. Uh, crazy man, I'm actually getting a little bit of chills right now thinking about it. Um, the stadium was unbelievable, uh, just rocking. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, somebody sent me a video clip afterwards of, of the, the people that were calling the game talking about how the press box was shaking, uh, physically shaking. Yep. Um, and, you know, really, really special night, really special day. That last drive, um, you know, everything on the line for that season. Uh, but no doubt in anyone's mind that we were going to come away with that win. Um, and, you know, down in the red zone, fourth down, uh, we needed to convert the first down. Um, I, I vividly remember this. Uh, we ran a, a five-man protection, uh, so no back in the backfield. Uh, they were bringing blitz zero. We knew they were bringing more guys than that we could block. Um, and uh, I, I remember vividly, you know, taking my set and, and coming off on the linebacker that was blitzing and leaving the defensive end. Uh, knowing that Brian knew he needed to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, and I remember him letting go of the ball. And I, I think it was Freddie Brown who caught that pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, Freddie was not even looking at the time that Brian released the ball. And it just happened. It timed up perfectly. As soon as Freddie got his head around, the ball was right there, converted that fourth down, went on to score, went on to win, maintained the record. Uh, that was definitely a special moment. And uh, probably a moment that was a catalyst that uh, kind of launched us into the remainder of that season, into the Sugar Bowl, uh, into the you know the fully undefeated season. How loud was that stadium? Because there there are people who are saying that it was the loudest it's ever been, and there have been some pretty good seasons, pretty good games after that. I wasn't there; I hadn't started my media career yet, but. You know, just watching it on TV and all that stuff. I mean, obviously, it doesn't do do justice, and obviously, even the fans there doesn't do justice. But you were down on the field; you know exactly how loud and how electric it was inside Rice Eccles Stadium. For sure, uh, you know, and I, that's why I think I, I 
get these chills even talking about it and, and thinking about it is, uh, you know, there, there's only a few of those games in your lifetime. Uh, fortunately, I was able to play football longer than most. So, uh, you know, I, I had a few more of those games than than most people. But um, those type of games, man, are, are special. And uh, I, I haven't been to, to many of the games since I graduated. And I know there's been some big time games and, and some loud stadiums. But uh, I got to believe that's right up there at the top uh, all time in that stadium as one of the loudest and rowdiest and, and most fun games to be at and watch and play in. So then you guys go on and beat San Diego State um, on the road before the showdown with, with BYU. You guys obviously beat them 48 to 24. I mean, to you playing in that rivalry, I mean, you weren't you weren't a part of the uh, group that, that would go four years without – you know, losing to BYU like they are in the, the Pac-12 right now, but it, it's still a rivalry. How do you view it? Because I know every player is different with how they view the BYU-Utah rivalry. Uh, I definitely view it differently now, uh, being being away from the state. I, I live in Southern California now, um, you know, bounced around in my NFL career. So I haven't been in, in living in Utah since uh, I graduated. Um, so it's a little bit different now, but, you know, taking myself back to that time, I, I grew up in, in, uh, Midvale, Sandy area, went to Hillcrest high school. Uh, my stepfather was a girls basketball coach at the university of Utah for 12 years while I was growing up. Uh, I, I was a, a, a diehard Utes fan and I remember, uh, fights breaking out on the playground in elementary school over the BYU Utah rivalry. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a special rivalry. It's a heated rivalry. Um, and, and that game is always special. There's always an elevated, uh, sense of urgency, uh, sense of energy and practice that week. Um, it's a, it's a special thing, um, to be a part of in a special rivalry. Uh, I think it can get a little too, uh, you know, for the fans and for the people out there, I think it can get a, a little too crazy uh, at times. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's still just sports. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're still uh, all on the same team here in life. Um, but uh, overall, that's uh, a, a definitely a special rivalry that's out there. So when you guys got that bid to play in the Sugar Bowl and you guys were taking on number four Alabama, um, what was really coming to mind when you guys got that bid? Did you guys feel like you guys got slighted that you guys should have been in contention to play in that national championship game? Or were you guys all full steam ahead on Bama? Uh, I mean, we were all full steam ahead. I think if you, you step back and you look at it, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, maybe we should have had a chance uh, at that top game. Uh, at the time, you know, the way things were in the BCS and, and not being in a, a BCS conference and, and, uh, all those things, uh, you know, that, that portion was kind of out of our hands, um, unfortunately. Uh, but I think the focus was just on, you know what, we have an opportunity here and, uh, we're not going to lose this game, uh, no matter who we're playing. Uh, and, and we're going to go down there and, and we're going to come out of this with a W. And that was the focus the whole time. I, I know that there was a lot being said going into that game against Bama that the, the Crimson Tide weren't really looking motivated to play the Utes in, in, that, in that Sugar Bowl. I know I know Saban you know, probably overlooked you guys a little bit. I know that they had some studs on there, guys who went on to have great careers and still in the NFL like, like Julio Jones and others. What was that like as far as getting motivated to play Alabama? Because I'm, I'm sure you guys caught wind of some of that. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely heard it in the media, but uh, we didn't care. Uh, you know, that's that's uh, their issue to deal with. And and if you can't uh, get excited and get motivated to play in a Sugar Bowl, uh, no matter if you think that uh, you shouldn't be in that game or not, then, uh, you know, I question your motives uh, as a team and, and uh, as a football player. Um, so, you know, our, our focus was we're going to go in and we're going to win this game. And, and yeah, it, it's a huge stage for us. But uh, whether they believe it or not, it's a huge stage for them, too. Uh, and I think you, you look at that game and, and uh, the, the uh, performance that we put on, uh, and then you look at what happened uh, with Bama after that. Uh, it was, I think, a huge wake-up call for Saban and the team as a whole. I think they went on to win like 22 or 24 straight games after that oh loss. Uh, so, you know, I'd like to take some uh, credit for uh, a, a Bama national championship or two because of that win. Saban should probably send you guys some sort of gift basket, right? I, th- I think so. Uh, I, I would agree with that. We, uh, we'll have to see how, who we need to connect with uh, to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. So just going into that game, you guys punched them in the mouth. And I, d- I don't think there was a heavier punch that they've ever endured, at least in this stretch under Saban, because you guys went out 21 nothing, laid three touchdowns on them in that, in that first quarter. Just what was your guys' thoughts after you guys scored that third touchdown where Braden Goffrey got in? And Brian Johnson just had it going. The offensive line was just going. It just seemed like Alabama couldn't do anything to stop you guys. Yeah, we were just clicking on all cylinders. Uh, you know, our, our game plan and the way we wanted to approach the game, playing high tempo and and uh, operating extremely fast on the offensive side of the ball uh, turned out to be the right move. And, and we were executing it uh, at the highest level we possibly could. Uh, and, and it was a great feeling. Uh, you know, we we get up 21 nothing uh but there there was never a a a deep breath that was taken you know uh, we just wanted to keep the pedal down we just wanted to to keep operating at a high level offensively uh keep the chains moving control the ball uh all those kind of things you know when you're you're playing a, a program and a team like Alabama in on a national stage in a game like that uh, the last thing you want to do is is go up big like that and then lose your lead. So, uh, you know, there was there was uh, complete focus the entire time. Now, when you guys beat Alabama, what was that, you know, feeling like when, you know, the clock hit zero, 31-17 Utes, and you guys completed a second unbeaten season in a bus in the BCS twice now as a Utah football program? What was that feeling Man, it was uh, it was like being on top of the world. Uh, you know, we were down there for a whole week in in New Orleans, and uh, hearing all the the Bama fans yell "Roll Tide" anytime we went anywhere. Uh, it was nice to have some support from the LSU fans down there, uh, really pulling for us. Uh, but you know, we, we uh, finished that game and uh, go get together as a team and, and go celebrate a little bit and, and uh, walking around town. Uh, you know, seeing the downtrodden faces of all those Bama fans and, and not here in Roll Tide anymore uh, and, and seeing the elation and, and the excitement from some of those LSU fans on top of the excitement that we naturally would already have uh, is a special deal, man. It, a lot of, lot of great memories and, and uh, very fortunate to be a part of. So for, for all the youth fans out there, this is just a glimpse of what you're going to get next week. Obviously, Zane is is a great guy to uh, talk about this, and it sucks that you're not able to join us, but I'm glad that we were able to do this now. I want to talk about a couple of things outside of that 08 team. 
Um, what have you been up to? You've uh, been out of the league for you know two years now after stops with the uh, Denver Broncos, which, by the way, you are my my favorite Denver Broncos draft pick as a Broncos fan. Just putting that out there right now. <laughs> Although, I mean, there's not a whole lot of competition. John Elway hasn't, you know, but we're not going to get into that. But uh, what what has the last, you know, two years been like? You 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 mentioned you're living in Southern California, but what is Zane Beatles up to since yeah. he stopped playing football? Yeah, so retired after the 2018 season. Um, that April, so April of 2019, my wife gave birth to uh, twins, boy and girl. Um, so they are just, uh, just turned two here last month. Uh, that's been an amazing, amazing experience. I, I tell everybody that can, that being dad is the coolest thing I've ever been. Um, and it, and it is awesome. Uh, August of that year, I jumped into an MBA program, uh, at Indiana university doing an online MBA program. So, uh, I've been doing that since then I'll, I'll finish up here in August. Uh, and then last summer, I, I started working in a real estate investment firm uh, down here in, in Southern California in Orange County uh, and uh, loving that uh, kind of jumped into the second career, figured out uh, what I want to do, at least for the next uh, little while here. I, I think I'm going to be one of those people that needs uh, like three or four careers in their lifetime. Uh, a lot of, lot of different interests and a lot of different things going on in this head. But uh, really enjoying uh, real estate investment and, and working in this firm and, and uh, uh, managing some investment dollars and, and uh, enjoying life. Uh, my wife's pregnant again, third on the way. We'll do here in November. So, uh, you know, on, on to the next phase of life. That's for sure. So rather than uh, blocking giant D linemen, you're now blocking kids. Um, I'm blocking kids, changing diapers, uh, you know, running around in, the yard. In the trouble and all that too, huh? Uh, yep, yep, absolutely. Hey, that is that is absolutely awesome. Now, something that I want to bring up. You've uh, played with some great quarterbacks in, in your time in the NFL, including Peyton Manning, who I absolutely, you know, admire as, as obviously a Broncos fan. But, you know, you're seeing Aaron Rodgers, you're seeing Watson, you're seeing some of these other NFL quarterbacks that are just wanting out of wherever they're at. And, and they're kind of making it public now. I know Peyton Manning wasn't really like that, but you've also played with a lot of quarterbacks. Is this kind of – is this rare to see them come out and, you know, the way – especially in bunches, it seems like, coming out and just not being happy with where they're at? Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing. Um, you know, it, the, the world is much different now. Uh, you know, when Peyton came into the league in 99 or 2000 or whenever it was, I can't remember what his rookie year was, but – um, you know, it, things are, are, are much different now than they were then in general in the world, you know, you all the social media and, and, uh, really we have so much information at our fingertips at all times. Uh, and, and it provides some different dynamics and, uh, you know, through social media, everybody now has a voice, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And, and, um, you know, it provides a platform for these guys to, to voice some some uh, of their concerns or some of their displeasure. And and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, just the evolution of our world and evolution of the sport. Uh, you know, it's always going to continue to change. And and, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, these guys, you know, thinking about Aaron Rodgers specifically, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that you would expect to have more than than one championship under his belt. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you're in a situation and you're on a team, uh, and, and you operate at that level and you're that type of quarterback, um, and your, your team doesn't, uh, give you the support that you need around you to be able to win 
more championships, uh, I can completely understand how that can be disconcerting and, and how you would want out of that situation. Uh, because, you know, a guy like that, he personally, he's, he's accomplished everything that you possibly can as an NFL quarterback. Uh, you know, I don't know how many records he holds or anything like that, but he's definitely one of the best, uh, up there of, of all time. Uh, you know, so in his circumstances, winning championships is, is, you know, the biggest thing and, and what you want to accomplish and, uh, trying to be in a situation where you can do that. Uh, I completely understand why he might be displeased with his, his the situation he's in. Now, one last thing on that. Just say that Peyton Manning, say that Peyton Manning played in Denver forever. You end up coming in, you know, he's obviously the quarterback, but then things aren't just going really well. He's not happy there. Comes out and says that that, that he isn't happy. Doesn't come to OTAs, at least the, the voluntary ones. What is the mindset of the surrounding players around him when, when something like this comes out, because I'm just trying to figure out what the Packer players are going through right now, where Aaron Rodgers yeah. doesn't want to be there. The coaches are saying we're not trading him. It's making for an awkward situation, but how do you handle it as a pro? Uh, it, it, that's definitely an interesting dynamic and definitely a tough thing to, to deal with. Um, you know, I think on the NFL level, uh, you know, my, my opinion on that would be that uh, it, it is much different than the college level. Uh, you know, in college, you know, you're going to be there for four or five years. That's changing a little bit now with the transfer portal portal and yeah, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, the, the evolution of things again, you know, things are changing. Uh, but generally overall, you know, like, you you know, you're going to be there for four or five years. You know, that these guys are going to be your teammates for four or five years. You, You have pride in your, your team and your state and your school and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's, you know, if somebody comes out and voices some of that displeasure, I think it's a different dynamic than in the pros where, uh, you know, the roster is changing over every single week. Um, guys are getting hurt and new guys are coming in for tryouts. And, uh, the guy that was your friend right next to you in your locker, uh, got hurt and, uh, you know, he goes to IR and somebody else new comes in and, and replaces it. So, that kind of um, feeling of of camaraderie and and knowing you know who you're going to battle with week in and week out is is a different dynamic. It, it changes constantly, uh, and and it's truly a job uh, at that point. It, it's uh, business and it's profession, and uh, ultimately you have one job to do, and that's to perform and be the best football player that you can personally be and, and contribute to the team all that you can. Uh, and that uh, has to be the focus for everybody, um, at, at least, uh, you know, for, for me, I, I wasn't uh, uh, the best, most athletic, fastest, biggest, strongest type of guy. And, and uh, I needed to be extremely consistent. I needed to be smart. I needed to, to uh, you know, be a guy that the coaches knew what they were going to get every single day. And that's how I was able to, to have as long of a career in the NFL as I had. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that has to be the focus for the majority of guys that play in the league, um, you know, and, and an understanding of, uh, you know, we all, we could all get hurt. Uh, this could end for every single one of us tomorrow, whether you're Aaron Rodgers or not. Uh, you know, I mean, look at Alex Smith, uh, you know, what happened with him and his leg. It's amazing that he was able to come back and, and play another NFL snap. I could not believe that last year when, when he entered that game uh, yeah. and was back on an NFL football field and, and playing and operating and doing well as an NFL quarterback. Um, you know, so 
you, you have to understand that, uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we're all doing this to, to make a living and, and we're all doing this to, to support our families and, and support our communities and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you, you can't get mad at an individual that's looking out for himself in a situation and in a league where you're a commodity, uh, no matter if you're Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Zane Beatles, you know, no matter who you are, uh, you're always replaceable. Um, so, you know, looking out for your own situation and what's best for you and your family, uh, is, is the ultimate focus. And I think everybody understands that on a team. All right. Two more questions for you. And then I will cut you loose. Um, last year when everything shut down, um, I actually chose to do this, uh, debate. Uh, it, it was called the Great Youth Debate, where I had two members of, of the 2004 Fiesta Bowl team and two members of the Sugar Bowl team. From, from, from the 04 team, I had Eric Weddle and Clinton Ganther. From the 08 team, I had Sly and Brian Johnson. We all debated who was better, 08 or 04. Now, I've asked former players who have been members of both of these teams, still can't find an answer to it. I think I know the answer coming from you, but who was better, 08 or 04? Man, uh, I mean, I obviously have to go with the 08 team. Uh, I, I was a Hillcrest Husky during the uh, the 04 team, so it uh, wasn't a part of that. Uh, but I, I think I'll take it a step further, and uh, 08's better, all right? But I'm going to have to straddle the fence here and say that the 04 offense was better, which pains me to say because <laughs> I was part of that 08 offense. Yeah. Uh, but I think the 04 offense was better, but I think the 08 defense was better. Uh, and at the end of the day, the philosophy at the Utah program uh, and the, 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 the results of a lot of championships over the years, uh, defense wins championships. Uh, so ultimately, I think that's why the 08 team was better. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was on a team in, in Denver where we were the, the best offense in the history of the NFL and we lost the Super Bowl. Yes, you were. So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, that defense is a, a big, big deal. Now that is the best answer any of these former players have ever given because you actually <laughs> gave credit to the other team. Normally they're just like, hey, Oh wait, all the way. Nothing, hey, nothing can compare. Hey, I got to give those guys credit. I, I was going to those games as a senior in high school and, and being recruited by Utah and having a blast watching that season. It was a special season, that's for sure. Okay, final thing. And and this is kind of blown up on, on social media. Um, so I'm actually going to put you on the spot here. We actually okay. asked all, all of our fans on Twitter to give us their offense. You get a quarterback, a running back, and two wide receivers, you have 10 bucks. Okay. Here are your options. Who would Zane Beagle right. want to block for out of this group? All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to take uh, my guy, Brian, as, as my quarterback. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go with uh, I'll go with Zach Moss as my running back. So what's that? Six bucks? Yep. Six bucks. All right. So. Uh, yeah, Steve Smith, man, that guy is a phenomenal football player, human, uh, just a beast. I have gotten uh, so a lot of crap I'm, for putting him at at a at two dollars, but I was telling people it's from college, not from the pros. Right. If it was from the right, pros, I'd right. put him at a hundred bucks. Right. Because right. Steve Smith was just fantastic in, in, in yeah. the NFL and phenomenal didn't even scratch the surface in college. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll take Steve there. Uh, and I guess I had, Oh wait, no, that was, uh, yeah, six. So I'm at eight bucks. So, and then I got to go with Brent. 
uh, my guy Brent, uh, you know, I, I want to go with Jeremy, but I don't have the the money. So uh, I'm going to take Brent. Well, there you go. So that would be a, a pretty solid group for you to block for then, right? That would be. That, w- that would be a lot of fun right there. Well, Zane, here, I'll go and take this down. Zane, I really do appreciate you taking the time. It really sucks that you're not able to join us, but I will obviously send best, best wishes to your teammates, except for Sly, because he did say some rude things through text message. He you. always does, man. He always does. I don't know what it is about that guy, but uh, no, I, I I love all those guys. Please tell them all I said hello. I, w- I wish I could be there with them next week, but uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for you guys. All right, coming up next Friday, right here on, on the KSL Sports Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages, that is Zane Beatles. Join us next week at 10 a.m. Mountain Time for the Sugar Bowl reunion. Thank you for tuning in to the Crimson Corner and and the KSL Sports front page. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.